Hi everyone, my name is Haley. And this is Laura. And welcome to The Body Pod. Welcome everybody. Today I have Dr. Shelby Harris on as our guest. She is known as Sleep Doc Shelby on Instagram, and she is board certified in behavioral sleep medicine by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and treats a wide variety of sleep disorders such as insomnia, nightmares, circadian rhythm disorders, narcolepsy, and apnea treatment. She has published and presented research on the neuropsychological effects of insomnia and older adults, as well as behavioral treatments for insomnia, parasomnias, narcolepsy, and excessive daytime sleepiness. So let's get right into it. Welcome back to the Body Pod, everyone. I am so excited to have Dr. Shelby Harris on today. You have just heard her intro that I gave about her um, being a sleep doctor and being one of the best in her field. I have been following you and have watched every one of your Instagrams. And so I'm so thrilled for this conversation. Welcome, Shelby. Thank you very much for having me here, ladies. I really appreciate it. Well, this is appropriately timed because last night I did not sleep at all. And I was like, how ironic that I'm interviewing Dr. Shelby today. And I didn't get an ounce of sleep last night. So we have so much to talk about. But first, uh, could you just kind of run us through what behavioral sleep medicine is? Okay. So yeah, it's a little confusing. So within the whole umbrella of like sleep medicine, when people say I'm going to go see a sleep doctor, there's a lot of different kind of types of sleep doctors, shall we say? Because if you think about sleep, there are a lot of things that influence sleep, right? It can be psychological, it could be stress, it could be medical things, right? Sleepwalking, sleep talking, sleep apnea. So there are things neurologic, there's a lot of different areas. So behavioral mm-hmm. sleep medicine is this area of specialty where we're board certified in it. So we've taken exams and lots of supervision. And it's really about treating certain sleep disorders without the use of medication or using learning how to work with medication using all evidence-based methods. So I work with people who have insomnia, nightmares, who can't use their machines for CPAP, kids who have sleep issues, night owls, all different sorts of things without using medication to help them sleep better. Okay. I'm obsessed with this because I'm embarrassed to say (laughs) that I have been medicating my sleep for, I would say like, since I've had children for at least 15 solid years almost every night. And I'm not proud of it. I go back and forth between like Unisom and melatonin, but I never want to lay there with my eyes open. Like it almost stresses me out to try to go off. So I'm always like, when I go on vacation, I'm going to go off, but then I never do. So how large is the field of sleep problems? Well, really it's a huge field. I mean, there's just insomnia alone, which is trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or awakening earlier than you would like to, and has to cause a problem for you. That affects upwards of um, 50, 50% of people that has like an issue with a night here or there of poor sleep. Like half the population has a bad night here and there. And then about 15, one five to 30% of people can have chronic issues, more consistent issues with sleep. So it's a huge issue. And then you talk about sleep apnea and all these other things. I mean, it's a very big issue that many people aren't addressing. Okay. So I have 
Well, first of all, there's there's two parts of this question. Mm-hmm. Laura and I are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. So Laura has a newborn ah, and I have teenagers and I feel like I'm, we're both the same age. So we're kind of starting to hit that perimenopause phase, which the hormones are doing everything. The sleep starts to go out the window for the majority of my clients. Yeah. Where do we start with this and where do we go? Is it possible to get great sleep in your 40s and beyond once the hormones start playing a role? Yeah, I think there isn't a one size fits all approach, but I do think that people are often told to just throw in the towel and expect that poor sleep will happen the older you get. And it shouldn't be that way. There are definitely approaches, whether it's hormone replacement, whether it's certain medications, whether it's behavioral sleep medicine, there's uh, so many different options Mm -hmm. that we really need to start taking women seriously and their reporting of their issues seriously and do something about it as opposed to just saying, yeah, that's part of getting older. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. I mean, it's something I've been fighting for for a long time and it's, I'm Like, so I wrote a book, The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia, that came out in 2019. And when I signed the book deal, it was 2015, if I remember correctly. And at that time, it took me a few years to write it. But at that time, there was some research on women and sleep. There wasn't tons about Mm -hmm. perimenopause and menopause, which is kind of shocking. That wasn't even 10 years ago. So it's really changing, but it's not changing as fast as I'd like. I'm buying the book right now as soon I know. as we get I'm off. like adding to card <laughs> immediately. Uh, so I'm in the same boat as Haley. I have taken yeah. things to fall asleep, different things, like whether yeah. it be sleep disease or whatever. I'm sure all of it is not great. Um, how, what do you think are the best practices of trying to get off anything like that to get a good night's sleep. I've probably only been doing it for five years, maybe yeah. six, but I'm like Kaylee. My worst nightmare is to lay there at night. And when I can't go to sleep, I start going over all the things in my life I need to get done, whether it be something yes. as dumb as house chores or then large things. I've tried to get up and write down the list to get it out of your mind. And that's helped a touch, but then I'm Oh my gosh, I think I said the wrong thing to that client two years ago. I mean, all of a sudden, the irrational (laughs) thought. Yes. So I'm like, this is not worth it. Tell us everything. There's a lot of things, I think. And like I said, it's not one size fits all. But Mm -hmm. if you're trying to get off medication, Mm -hmm. whether it's prescription or not, the most common and evidence-based treatment we have is cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. That's what my book is. That's what I do day in and day out. There are apps that can help depending upon the complexity of the person. Mm -hmm. Sometimes working with someone can be helpful. Sometimes a book or an app is fine. And really what it is, it's 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 basically like a a bunch of different treatments that are put together into a package. Mm -hmm. So we, we will use certain ones more than others. So like you said, the getting out and writing things down, just not lying in bed, trying to force it is one aspect that doesn't always work all the time. And it's really Mm -hmm. less about making you sleepy. It's more about, so you don't lie in bed trying to force sleep to happen and getting the bed associated more with anxiety and frustration and a busy brain. You can't force sleep to happen if it's not happening, like you just can't put yourself in a sleepy state, but then some, sometimes we'll change bedtimes and wake times. I'll actually have people spend less time in bed. So that whole idea of you have to be in bed for eight hours, 
not for insomnia patients necessarily. So I actually might restrict someone to less time in bed, which is not easy, but I'll figure out the way that I might do it. For other people, it could be things like cognitive therapy, the C and the CBT for insomnia. So the cognitive part could be more like the idea, and this is something, I mean, people, 99% of my patients are people who have been on meds or on medication and need to get off of them or want to get off of them for certain reasons. And it's a lot of figuring out that idea of like, A, this idea in our society that perfection is the goal yeah, and that actually everything has to be optimized nowadays. And the, the, that word drives me mad because when it comes to sleep, perfection is not, the, that's actually the enemy of good here. So mm-hmm. there is individual variability from night to night. I do not sleep perfectly well every single night, but if you're content with how you're sleeping at least five nights a week, you are within normal limits. So it's that understanding of if there's one or two bad nights here and there, What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Will I get through it? Like seeing the other side and knowing that if you get up at the same time and you just try to keep the next day as best as possible, the next night's likely going to reverse itself. So it's trying to push through and not expect perfection is a big piece of it for a lot of people. And I think that idea of like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if I don't take something and I don't fall asleep? Let me see. Will I cope with it? Will I live? Will I get through it? And sometimes doing that with some people can be really useful. Um, cause that idea of trying to force sleep to happen, whether it's through medication or trying to get into that right yeah. mental state, that actually, the more you think about it, the worse it is. That's so yeah. true. And I love that question. What's the worst that's going to happen? And if it's, mm-hmm. I'm going to be exhausted all day tomorrow, yeah. well, we're going to get through it. Right. Yeah. And so that, that actually kind of takes it a little bit of the edge off for me thinking, sting that, off, right? yeah, I'm going to. I'll try and ask myself that. And then the other the other thing I add too is that for a lot of people, this is what I see all the time, and I've noticed it with myself too, is if I have to take like NyQuil and ZQuil are essentially like similar ingredients. Yeah. So I if I have to take that because I'm sick or something, I feel like a truck hit me the next day. Yeah, I'll sleep like a log. Mm-hmm. But it's, I always tell people like, so you sleep at night, but what's the point of sleeping at night? It's to help inform your day and help you feel better. Yeah. And if you're taking something just so you don't think, but then you feel really terrible the next day, is it worth it? It's so true. Right? It's, is it worth it? I mean, not for everyone doesn't experience the hungover feeling or the brain fog, but also I, ex- I encourage people to think about the other side. Like, have there been nights where you've slept well and you still feel terrible the next day? Have there yeah. been nights where you slept terribly and you felt okay the next day? It's not always that one-to-one kind of prediction that we always think it's going to be. This is really hard, too, because all of these devices, I feel like we have information overload Mm -hmm. as far as like whoop strap or a ring, because when they tell you you're not recovered because you had a poor night's sleep, some of that has got to be psychological where you're like, well, I'm screwed. I can't work out. My day is going to be crap. My ring says (laughs) that I'm not properly recovered. And that's really hard. But do you think... And I, I know what your answer is going to be, but I just want to I just want to hear what you say about it. Is sedated sleep the same as non sedated sleep? Well, it it depends on what. No, it's not. But it also depends on what medication you're taking, too, because some of them are more like there are certain medications that don't necessarily give you drastically more sleep. They just create an amnesia for the night more so than anything. So you don't remember <laughs> being awake. So it really does depend upon the medication. And like when we think about like also certain things like 
propofol. Like I hate to bring it up, but like the whole Michael Jackson thing, right? Like yeah. he was using propofol to sleep at night. That is not sleep. That is an attest. An, 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 I can never say the word. Sleep under anesthesia is not the same. I can't never yeah. say anesthetize. There we go. Um, <laughs> it's not the same as like the stages that you go through when you're asleep at night. And all the different medications affect the sleep staging, deep sleep, light sleep, REM, all that throughout the night. But it's not the same as just sleeping without anything. Oh, I'm screwed. I'm going to get off it though. Daily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad right now. Okay. So would you say that like, if you, if somebody, they were desperate and they were like, okay, I'm going to get off sleep meds, but I, you know, for the next two weeks, I have to be on them. I have a lot of things and I'll commit in two weeks. I'm going to start cognitive behavioral therapy in two weeks. Is there a medication that is less, like, what would you recommend? Would you go straight for like a prescription or would you say, you know, melatonin? Cause I've heard like CBD is worse. Melatonin's better. Is there one that's better than another? No, there isn't. And everyone's different. That's the thing. Okay. I always say like, talk with your doctor, come up with some sort of a taper plan because it's never my place to just say to someone, you know, some of these medications that people are taking are highly addictive. You yeah. never want to just stop it willy nilly. So always talk with your doctor about what it is that you're taking and ways to get off of it. Certain things like, for example, melatonin or CBD, like those are things that you could slowly reduce the dosage. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine. So I always will say like, you know, start at one, one, whatever dosage you're taking, and then slowly reduce the dosage every week or two as you slowly make other changes to your sleep patterns, um, whether it's CBT or other stuff. So you like yeah. do it much like as opposed to just ripping it all off. Yeah. I actually prefer people make little changes and adjust over time. But when it comes to a lot of the stuff, like especially the prescription meds, always talk with your doctor because yeah. there are certain ones you don't want to just stop. What is your opinion on CBD or THC for sleep? I have some friends who were highly addicted to Ambien, got off of it, and the only thing they've been able to have to use now is like a tiny little bit of a gummy or – so I think Mm -hmm. it's maybe a little bit more THC than CBD. I'm not sure, but what is your thought? Yeah, so CBD alone, we don't have tons of research on either CBD Mm -hmm. or THC, um, the CBD, I, I just in my own practice, I could tell you how many patients, like there's so many patients who've tried it and it doesn't really, remember, I also tend to see the more severe cases, right? Mm-hmm. People try everything and it doesn't really do that much. Some people find that it is CBD alone can be helpful because it can just, it's more of like, it chills you out a little bit. It's relax, yeah. it can relax you, but it doesn't necessarily set the stage for sleep. So, I mean, set you into sleep. It can set the stage, but not make you that makes stay sense. asleep the whole night, Right. And when you add in the THC or you do just THC, that we have even less research on. Mm-hmm. There's some research that shows that it can actually increase your deep sleep, but it can also for some people be highly addictive, right? So do you need more over time, which is what I tend to see more of? I, some people swear by it. And then the other thing is there are other people who are like, I it helps me sleep, but the quality of the sleep is really crummy or I wake up a lot in the middle of the night. And a lot of people I find are using, first of all, it's only been legal in most states for not that long. So we don't have a lot of research on it. Colorado the first. <laughs> there you go. Second, and in New York, like it's really pretty new recreationally. Second is that it's not really, there's no standardization 
between one place to another that's making, yeah. let's say, gummies. So if you have something that says five milligrams at one place, how do you know that another place, the five milligrams is going to be the exact same formulation? Good point. Good point. So that's an issue. And then the biggest issue I honestly have with the gummies, especially or any of the edibles, is they could take forever to work for some people. So like, <laughs> yeah. are, you, are you planning out taking some nibbles of a gummy at seven o'clock so that you can then have it hit you by 10 o'clock? To go to <laughs> That's a good point. You're a dick. Sorry, folks. Like, I got to get out. <laughs> it doesn't seem like the most practical of sleep aids because yeah. you don't know when it's necessarily going to hit you, which is not ideal either. So that's my yeah. take. Okay. Well, I think one of the big questions Haley and I have for you too is what does a good sleep routine, good sleep architecture look like? What are things that we should or should not be doing? Do you think meditation helps? Do you think no screen yeah. time a certain period before you go to sleep? Yeah. I think there are certain things that people could be doing routinely. It doesn't have to be perfect by any means, I'm not perfect with it. But I think there are certain things that we should be doing in a routine that would be good just to, like one of my colleagues, we always call it sleep hygiene. One of my colleagues, Rachel Mamber, always um, says it's like dental hygiene, right? Like brushing your teeth and flossing all the time helps to prevent a cavity. But once you get a cavity, you know, brushing, you're not going to brush a cavity away, right? (laughs) But you're going to continue brushing. So that's how you have to look at the sleep hygiene stuff is it's good to kind of prevent problems but it doesn't mean that you're never going to get a problem and that sleep hygiene isn't going to necessarily fix chronic insomnia. So I always think of these things as the baseline. And if that's not working, then we add in more things. So what are those baseline things? So mindfulness meditation, like you were alluding to, I think that's a huge thing. And I think that's actually a really good thing for stuff that you were talking about, Laura, earlier with the brain being really busy for some people and just not being able to turn it off. So if you practice a little bit of mindfulness meditation during the day, not to fall asleep to at night necessarily, like all the sleep casts and stuff, that's fine, but it's not practicing meditation. If you practice it during the day, it actually makes it easier for you to recognize when your brain's really busy and let it go a little bit easier. So that's one thing. But then it's the screens, the timing. The one thing that I think is the most important that people don't always appreciate is consistency of your sleep-wake timing. So really trying to go to bed around the same time most nights within a half hour to an hour max and getting up at around that same time every single day. It's the shifting. And I think honestly, since the pandemic, it's gotten worse because at least in New York, some people are on these hybrid schedules now. So they'll go into the office a few days a week and then they're home. So they can sleep later or they have to get up earlier certain days. And I think that actually makes it a lot worse for people if you're not consistent. So that's one of the biggest things. Screens... I think are a big problem, but it's less the people make a big deal out of the blue light. The blue light's an issue, but it's not as big of an issue as people make it out to be. Like, I I don't think you need to like have the goggles on. I know. I was like, I can't wait to tell my husband, listen, Dr. Shelby said. (laughs) It's still important because it's like, it's it's more about the brightness of the lights and how, I mean, because let's be real. I mean, the more I ask people now, do you have a TV in your room? It's getting less and less. And it's mostly people who are just staring at their phone in their bed like mm-hmm. this, right before bed. Like that's not going to help. And then it's also, what are we looking at? Are we doom scrolling? Are we binge watching things on TV? And then we get texts like we're always on, mm-hmm. right? So really decompressing without a screen is ideal because it's just giving your brain some space between the day and the night. The screen, the light from it is not great. Um, and then the other things I really focus on, you know, like the alcohol does 
make an impact for sleep quality, right? Within yeah. three hours for most people, really trying to limit liquids, trying to limit alcohol, limit any, if you are someone who smokes or vapes, like try to limit that within three hours. And then during the day, trying to limit that caffeine. Caffeine is not the devil, but you really want to try and limit it within at least eight to 12 hours before bed. So like I have coffee every morning, I'm drinking it now, but <laughs> I try to cut it off by three, four o'clock because I know yeah. that's for me when I will start to impact my night. And then movement and light exposure are the other big ones. So make sure you move during the day, right? Like some people are just so sedentary, especially since the pandemic, they're working at home now. They're not even going yeah. out of their house and they're not getting light exposure. And those are two very simple things that I think we don't often think about. Okay. So would you say that, is there a higher percentage of women that have sleep problems? And is there an age range for women that you see more that have sleep problems? Like, is there... Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the, you know, over 40 crowd. <laughs> yeah. So when you're talking about sleep problems, I'm guessing that you mean more like insomnia. So that yeah. trouble falling asleep, staying asleep. Yeah. So w yes, women do suffer from insomnia more than men. That's just, it happens. Um, when it comes to age range, women do have it more than men. Once they hit puberty, that's when women start to have it more than men. We see oh, the rates start to geez. skyrocket more when they hit perimenopause. So there are stages though, like there are some women that ever since they've been a kid, when they or a teenager, when they started getting their period, there are some women who will always notice the few days before they get their period, they have insomnia or they're excessively sleepy, the other side. That's me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the hormonal changes there. Then we talk about pregnancy, right? Pregnancy is not fun when you're, you're up all the time having to go to the bathroom and then third trimester, you're just uncomfortable. And then the baby comes and we're just programmed to be awake mentally and we can't turn our brains off. And then there's the perimenopause menopause stage. So at various stages, we see it spike. And then it really, when I was writing my book, my publisher was like, well, let's, we were going to write something about insomnia, but I couldn't think of the population. And she's like, who do you see the most of? And I was like, women, women in perimenopause. And that's really where the oh, focus wow. of my book yeah. Okay, so everyone's buying this book. Go buy Shelby's book right now. I can't wait. <laughs> I, know. I can't wait. Yeah, it's it's a big it's a big issue. And like I said, there wasn't much research on it. We're getting more and more, but it's slow going, sadly. Well, I would say of all the women that I train online on the in the groups that I run, in person training, mm -hmm. I I would say maybe five percent of women are like, oh, I sleep amazing. I have no problem yeah. with sleep. I mean, it's, it's yeah. alarming because most women are like, yeah, Haley, I get it. Okay. Sleep. I know it helps me recover. I know it helps with body composition, but like yeah. you said, can't force it. The problem. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing that we do miss a lot of times, like we were saying earlier is that women just kind of get swept under the rug a little bit. They get forgotten a bit when it comes <sighs> to their sleep. So I say this constantly, you are the expert on you. If you mm -hmm. feel like something is off with your sleep and your sleep quality and how you feel during the day, speak up until you find a doctor who will actually hear you and listen to you and take you seriously. Because things that often get missed are things like sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. You can be totally fit, thin, have no issues whatsoever and not meet that kind of ideal, uh, like the thought of what an apnea person with apnea, that's an older male who's overweight. Like yeah. there, I, I've saw someone today in my practice who very likely has sleep apnea and is like, 
barely 40. And you would never like guess this person off, you know, like just looking at them that they would have sleep apnea, but it can happen. And once you start to hit perimenopause, hormone changes, things like that can loosen your airway and lead to somewhat more snoring, but it doesn't have to be that loud, obnoxious snoring. And women will often report they're just tired, but they're not falling asleep left and right. So that's something that we miss a lot of times too. And that can influence how they're feeling during the day. And then also things like restless legs syndrome. I have that. And it's like, I just can't go to sleep some nights because my legs are like just wanting to move constantly. And it gets worse as the night comes. And that's a very common thing that we see that's hormonally related for a lot of people. And there are treatments for it, but you got to speak up and you got to find someone who will hear you. What do you think about mouth taping? (laughs) So mouth taping. That's a good question. (laughs) It's a very, it's a loaded question because I don't have... In fundamentally, I don't have an issue with it. Where I have an issue is that people will go to that as their first choice for treatment when mm-hmm. they're actually not getting properly evaluated first. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone who is trying to mouth tape because you snore, you might actually have sleep apnea, which in many cases is usually the case. And mouth taping is not an actual treatment for sleep apnea. It doesn't fix the problem. It just closes you. You're still going to have obstructions. So it's it's fine for some people, but you have to make sure you've been evaluated properly before you go to mouth taping. And that is my biggest issue with it. That is the million dollar question. Cause I feel like I'm hearing that everywhere Me that too. you don't get great sleep if you're a mouth breather at night. Yes. Very true. But a lot of people are mouth breathers because they have sleep apnea. So <laughs> like, let's fix that problem first. And yeah. then if there, if it's not apnea, if there's nothing else going on and your doctor's like, fine, go ahead. If it helps you, I'm all for it. But okay. yeah, you, let's make sure there's nothing else more serious going on first. What about people? So we talked about not being able to fall asleep, having the, di- the difficulty lies in yeah. falling asleep. What about people who have no problem falling asleep, but then they chronically wake up through the night? So there can be a million different reasons for why that's happening. So one of the things could be a busy brain, right? So the Mm -hmm. first thing I always encourage people to do is like whatever you go to sleep with that's on your brain, it's going to be there at three in the morning when you wake up in the middle of the night. It's like you were sleeping enough to override it. So maybe we should try and address it before going to bed. Maybe like the writing it down. I write in my book, I talk about something called worry time. I talk about that in Instagram all the time. So like more, like it's essentially like a worry dump, getting it out of your brain and figuring out how you're going to deal with it so that you're not actually trying to problem solve at three in the morning when you get up. The other things to think about too are that hormones can be a big thing. So people will wake up because of night sweats, hot flashes. So that's where you'd want to talk with your doctor if that's continuously happening. There are interventions that can help with that. Some people are sleeping in a room that's too warm. So there are things we can do to try and cool your body down, whether it's sweat wigging pajamas. Um, the They have like mattress pads that you can set the temperature to that will cool themselves down throughout wow. the night that are wonderful for some people. Then there's things like maybe you're in bed too many hours. This was something I see a lot of times with insomnia patients. They're in bed eight hours, but they're only sleeping six and a half, seven hours a night. So sometimes I make them spend a little less time in bed and they actually sleep deeper, believe it or not. And then the other thing, the biggest thing, honestly, I see is that people don't appreciate that an awakening at night can be a normal thing. Mm. Uh. We all wake up at night. We just don't remember it all the time. Mm. 
<laughs> so everyone wakes up after a sleep cycle is finished. So it's four to six, four to seven times a night for people. We just don't remember them all. So sometimes people have trained themselves to wake up, look at the clock, say, oh, see, it's two o'clock. Every night I wake up at two in the morning and then they get themselves anxious about it. If you just stopped doing that, you actually might fall asleep a little bit easier. See, I just, every time I slightly wake up at all, I'm like, oh, I got to pee because then I'm going to lay here and then I can't. Reading. That's another one. It's ruined okay. me. <laughs> yeah, all those things. There's a lot of different reasons. And for some people, it could be they wake up because they're um, hungry, believe it or not. So there yeah. are some people, like there's a big debate I've had people debate me online about like the whole, I always recommend it in sleep medicine. We always recommend a light snack for some people before bed, a light snack, meaning small, a mix of a little bit of a healthy, like complex carb and um, something whole grain ideally. And then like with a little bit of protein, that mm -hmm. mix for some people can be satiating enough, help you fall asleep and stay asleep a little bit more. Some people who are, believe it or not, doing intermittent fasting find that they still wake up in the middle of the night and they don't realize it's because they're super hungry. First. Mm, yeah. So like we have to think about what are some of the triggers for everybody. And it's not, like I said, it's not one size fits all. So I was just in Australia and I was staying at a house that had zero air conditioning. And I didn't know that there was like, I didn't even, I was so tired by the time I got there the first night that I didn't even like notice that there was a ceiling fan. Wow. I thought I was going to die. Yeah. I mean, I was like sweating and I was like, how am I going to do this for four nights? It's going to be terrible. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. And you're no. also like, you're going from... I'm assuming winter. Well, what's the weather yeah. like? Typically? Oh, yeah. it was so hot. Oh, summer. It's like yeah, going to summer there. That's a big, a big adjustment too. That's not helpful. Wait, I yeah. remember reading something that it was scientifically proven that 62 degrees. I might be saying this wrong. Is the best temperature to sleep at something like that? Yeah, I'm always. I'm always very skeptical whenever I see someone give a specific number yeah. for something. Specific, like it's the, <laughs> the it's very it's very dependent upon the person, and also it depends upon where you live. So people will often say online, like sixty-seven degrees is the ideal temperature yeah. for sleep. No, it's somewhere in Fahrenheit, somewhere in the sixties to max seventy-one, seventy-two for most people. That the reason that I don't like to give a specific number is it also depends on where in the country. Like if you're in a part of the, let's say United States, that's got low humidity, that's oh, going to feel yeah. very different than a place that's got high humidity. So you really do need to think about all those different factors, but a cooler bedroom is better than a warmer bedroom. I am typically, I run pretty cold at night. Like I, before I go to sleep, like I could actually have a heated blanket on me and be, otherwise I'm really uncomfortable. But as the night goes on, I really need to have that room cold. So everyone's a little bit different. Yeah, that's, that's really true. But I do think for me, sleeping in a cooler room helps for sure. Oh, for sure. For the vast majority of people, it is really helpful. I think about my mom. My mom though is like someone who needs to have it 78 degrees. I'm oh, like, yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, I can't sleep at my mom's house. Like, if no. you want me to sleep over at your house when yes. I go to visit with my family, you be, like, I get control of the thermostat. Otherwise, we're staying somewhere else. Yes. And upgrade your bed. It's like my mom has had the same pillows in bed. I'm, it's terrible. Love you, mom. <laughs> it's just something we need to consider. But like, there are some people who just have different thermostats and yeah. there are yeah. ways to get around it. But generally for the vast majority, cooler is better. So does taking like a cold shower before that would help just 
get your body temperature? Not so much. Interestingly, what we find more is that as you go to bed at night or before, like within about an hour to two hours before bed, our body temperatures naturally drop a little bit as we Mm. get closer to bed. And what that's doing is that it's like a very subtle drop. But that's actually a sign to help our body produce natural melatonin in our brain that comes out of our pineal gland in our brain. So that's actually what's helping the process like kind of line up to make us sleepy. Now, that being said, a cold shower doesn't really help that process so much. What mm-hmm. we find helps is taking a warm, hot-ish bath. The studies were originally done in baths. You can take a shower. But doing that about two hours before bed, an hour and a half to two hours before bed, helps get you warm, but then over the next hour, you cool off. So you're doing that same sort of like cooling off thing that good, healthy sleepers do. Oh, I love my tub every night. There you go. (laughs) When you do it right before bed, then you're warming your temperature up too much and you're making it worse. So that hour and a half to two hours before is actually the ideal to do something like that. What do you think about poor sleep and like body composition changes for someone trying to lose weight? I mean, do you Mm -hmm. have an opinion on that? Well, I always say like sleep is the the bedrock for everything mm-hmm. when it comes to this. So if you're someone who's trying to work on your diet, when you're working on exercise, you will get better benefits out of that stuff if you are working on improving your sleep. The reason being is that when we're sleep deprived, what happens is we have a, an imbalance of two hormones that happen. So something called ghrelin and something called leptin. So ghrelin is that, I always think of the G for go. It's the hormone that makes you hungry, that says, I need to eat. Yeah. And then we have more of that and we have less of the leptin, which is the I'm full, stop eating. So mm-hmm. when you've not slept as much, you get more signals to keep eating and fewer the signals that you're full. And what do we tend to go for? We go for things that are higher in fat, higher than sugar, so that we get bigger bursts of energy, essentially. Mm -hmm. So that's going to make it harder for weight loss. And then the other side of that is when it comes to, especially with like weightlifting, that that aspect of exercise, the whole point of weightlifting is you're essentially causing tears in your muscles so that they grow back stronger, right? Bigger Mm -hmm. and stronger. If you are not sleeping properly, you're making it harder for your body to actually repair itself for muscle growth. So that's a big issue. I know. This is always so hard because, again, I feel like I know all the information and I still, this is, okay, can you give an example of like behavioral therapy and what that looks like? Because I'm hiring you as soon as we get off the call because (laughs) something needs to change. Yeah. I mean, it's like it really, CBT itself is really about, it's a very specific, it's ideally a structured treatment program, but I almost, because I see more complicated patients, I'm almost never like, I don't sell like a six-week package because I think Mm -hmm. that doesn't personalize it to the patient. So for me, it's really about first seeing patterns of what people are doing, tracking their sleep on it, not the like rings or the whoops or anything. I just have them do it old school on a piece of paper because I want to see what they perceive is happening. And then it's changing bedtimes, changing wake times, changing what you're doing before bed, changing things in the middle night, changing your thoughts about sleep, your relationship mentally with sleep, and then hopefully like getting all that stuff to to kind of gel together. This is so, okay, so I have a son that Mm -hmm. is 13 and he just has like anxiety in the last year. I don't know where it's coming from because I'm like, I don't care if you get straight A's, bro, (laughs) relax. But he will get so stressed out about school and his grades. And if he has like a presentation the next day 
and it's been, I was like, I need to get you some, some help as far as just relaxing the brain because it, I, it's just, it's something new for me because I, I saw that when I lived back East, I lived in New Jersey for a few years and though some of those parents, I'm like, okay, I get, I get why your kid's a little wired um, because there's a lot of expectations, but it's just new for me because I'm like, I'm not putting this, like, we're not putting this pressure on you. It's just coming. So same thing for, for children. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. We got to stop it with the pressure that we're putting on. The the kids are overscheduled. They're going to bed. Younger kids are going to bed too late a lot of times. And then teenagers, they naturally want to go to bed later, but they struggle to get to bed and get to sleep because they have so much stuff that's given to them work-wise. And also the thing is like most of them have all their work now on, like I have a 13-year-old son too. So like most of them are on iPads for work or for Mm -hmm. schoolwork. Like my, my, my son, I don't think has any, he has one book for like a French class. That's it. Yeah. Everything else is like on the iPad. So they're, they're, you know, I was talking about just light being a problem and like just doing work that they're up until bed, like staring at this thing in front of their face, stressed. It's like, yeah. we're making it, we're making it a problem for people of all ages nowadays. Yeah. it's a good point. <laughs> so is anxiety and depression directly linked to poor sleep? It can be. Oftentimes or not always? Not always, but it can be. There are plenty of people who have those issues who sleep okay and just as many people who sleep. Sleep is often, disrupted sleep is often a symptom of depression and certain types of anxiety, but it doesn't always have to be an issue. Got it. Good to know. So how long would it take? I mean, I know this is really individual, but if someone's like, okay, I'm going to try this on my own. I've been on X medication, um, hopefully something over the counter. So it's not as addictive, but how long would it take to wean off? Like it really is individual, but I would say if you're following like a specific program, because you can like wean off the stuff, but if you don't have other skills to rely on, it's good luck. Right. So you've got to really build in something else, working with someone, a book, an app, like I was talking about. Um, I would, it depends upon the dosage. Like I've had patients get off of things and depending, like I said, always talk with your doctor. Um, in like a month, but I've had other patients that are on high doses of medications that are like benzodiazepines, like anti-anxiety stuff that can take six months to a year. Yeah. Really, really slowly. Yeah. It really varies. Well, I loved your question on Instagram that, that was the top five things you wouldn't do as a sleep doctor. Can you talk about those? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm trying to remember. That was the one that I put up a long time ago. There's always, it always changes. Five things I wouldn't do. I'm trying to remember. Or just maybe even three. (laughs) I'm trying to remember the specific ones I had in there. The first thing I always, I don't do, I would never do is I don't sleep in drastically later. I might sleep in an extra hour, but I really won't sleep in a long time um, because that really can make it worse. The next thing I remember there in that one is I, I would never tell someone that their kid will outgrow sleep problems. Yes. Because usually they don't outgrow them unless we do without some intervention. It doesn't have to be like Mm -hmm. a cry it out thing, but you have to do something to make a change. Kids usually just continue having the same problem. Um, And then I I also try not to over caffeinate. That's a big one too. So even if I had a really rough day or rough night and I'm feeling tired the next day, 
I make a point to just have one, maybe two cups of coffee, but I really still try to limit it all in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then another thing I always do is I, I'm a big marathon runner. So I will, maybe if I'm really tired and I don't feel like I can do like a, I don't know, some sort of sprint training kind of thing I'm trying to do for speed work, I might then change it to a much shorter run or even just a walk. Like I just want to, I have to make sure I get movement, mm-hmm. but I modify my expectations for sure. And the same thing with other things. Like if I'm doing things, if I had a lot of stuff to do, I always make sure to do something, but maybe not the most complicated of tasks. What's your favorite marathon? (laughs) Oh gosh. Hard to say. I've done 23. So it's like. That's a lot. Have you done San Francisco? I've not done San Francisco. Interesting. I've done Big Sur, but I have not done, I've not done actually in San Francisco. I've done Big Sur half. Ah, well, Laura and I, our first marathon, she actually, I signed up for the half and she signed up for the full and I went for my honeymoon. (laughs) This was my honeymoon. I was like, oh, P.S. I'm running a marathon or a half. And then she talked me into running the rest of it. It was a terrible idea. And then what's funny is we ended up how many years ago, like eight years ago, redoing it. But I've only done three marathons and two was like two were San Francisco. Okay. I didn't train on one hill. I mean, it was a terrible oh. idea. Yeah. <laughs> it was not fun. No, but no. I mean, kudos I to you. I live in a very hilly area and I've done New York a bunch of times and Boston and yeah. so many. I mean, they're also different. Paris, Rome. I've been very fortunate to do a lot of kind of amazing. Really marathons. amazing ones. Uh, I try to, I, if I travel and there's one happening there, sometimes I'll like, planet in. My husband likes to remind me that you don't always have to run a marathon when you travel. <laughs> we're, we are best friends because I would do that with triathlon. I did like Ironman. I'd plan it all around my vacation. And my husband's like, this actually sucks because then I'm on kid duty <laughs> yeah. and then you're spent and nobody can bug you the day before because oh. you're in the zone. <laughs> I take away all all expectations though because usually you're jet lagged. Yeah. And like, if especially you're traveling and I'm like, I just run those to just sightsee essentially. Yeah. I don't yeah. really- in mind or anything like that so yeah wait this is that's this brings up one of the questions that I was wanting to ask is about jet lag Mm -hmm. how do you have any tips for people who are traveling I mean this is also good for Haley since she just I mean she's jet lagged right now straight from (laughs) Australia but I travel a lot too and I just thought oh I wonder if you have any good tips yeah, it's, it's so interesting. People always ask me about that stuff. And it's hard to give blanket recommendations yeah. generally because everyone's going in different directions mm-hmm. and amounts of time. But the the things I always like to say, right, are first, like, try to avoid the alcohol on the plane. Make sure you hydrate a lot. If you can sleep on the plane, try. Um, but to add on to that, there's some apps out there. I don't get paid by them at all, but there's one really great app I like called Time Shifter that will oh, help you this to put in, you put in your flights when you're leaving and then when you're landing and it will tell you, and you can say whether you want to use melatonin or not. And melatonin actually has a lot of play, like a lot of research behind using it this way in tiny doses. And it will tell you when to eat, when to get light exposure, when to maybe shift your sleep-wake pattern, um, when to take melatonin, if you're going to take it in the dosing, uh, so that it makes it a little less harsh when you arrive. So I actually really like that. It's made my job with the jet lag stuff a lot easier. Where were you two weeks? Why didn't we do I this know. podcast two weeks ago? Time shifter is great. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to use oh. that next time I travel. That is 
oh, I feel like that will be so helpful. It drives me crazy. I have a couple of friends who say like, oh, I just don't get jet lag. It's, yeah, it's in husband. your mind. It's sometimes I'm like, listen, no. <laughs> like, like, no, my, my husband doesn't, my, but my husband, I would argue. And I think some of these people are chronically sleep deprived to begin with that yeah. they can fall anywhere in any, any time. Yeah. That's a part of the issue. But remember, as I always say with jet lag, we are not built to travel the globe in the matter in the span of hours. Yeah. Like that, that's not how we're built. And so we have to be kind to our bodies mm-hmm. and to also not expect that perfect, even with these, these apps and all the other things, it's pretty unusual to just automatically adjust. Mm-hmm. And rule of thumb typically is number Australia is hard, but number of time zones crossed is number of days on average to adjust. Mm. So to fully adjust. Usually like, so I live in New York City area. And if I go over to Europe, that's like six, seven, eight hour difference, depending on where I'm going, that can usually by the third or fourth day, I start to feel like I'm more of a human. Mm -hmm. So it takes time. That's how I would say I react to about three, four days. Do you work with, um, totally switching gears, do you work with infants and babies too? Well, Not as keenly, but I'm, yeah, I work with, I always say I work with like infants, newborns, all the way through the oldest I've seen is 99. So I absolutely love, love my job because I get to see all different ages. I mostly see, I'm mostly known for teens and adults. So I do a lot of that. And there are a lot more people out there nowadays who are doing some of the baby sleep stuff. So I'll do it once in a while, but I, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I'm right in the middle of it. That's why I just wondered if you also do it because babies yeah. are just infants are just a whole different. A whole other ball game yeah, for sure. Other ball game. But my well, favorite book, if you're looking for a book for infant sleep is um, Sleeping Through the Night by Jody Mandel. I give that to everyone as a, there's a good friend as a, like a baby shower present. Not, not baby wise. <laughs> no, I know. Right. Sleeping through the night. So Jody Mandel is a very, very well-known um, pediatric behavioral sleep medicine person who does a lot, like all the big research has been done by her. So she really like legit knows what she's doing and she takes the shame away, which is what I kind of like. So there's like a lot of like, it's okay if your kid falls asleep in the car seat in the car, like if you have more than one kid, yeah. like, it's okay. So it doesn't make you feel so it doesn't it doesn't have the same sort of guilt aspect that I think some of the books have. Okay, I love them. this. Well, I'm going to be adding her book and your book <laughs> purchasing yeah, them today. Good pairing. Good pairing. I all my kids were crappy sleepers. I got screwed. So when Lara's like, "Oh, Chloe didn't sleep through the night for like the last few days." No one feels sorry for you. <laughs> She's a good sleeper. My pediatrician was like, don't tell other new moms like how well she's sleeping. I'm like, oh, thanks for you'll the- get, you'll get you'll get the the evil eye. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I I have one other question. I read um, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal just recently about how um, they did this research that it's actually can it's okay to sleep six only six hours. It's the consecutive sleep. So if you were sleeping 10 hours, but you were waking up through the night, which sounds obvious to me, but they were saying you don't have to worry. Having six hours of sleep is better. It's just the consecutive sleep. That's the most important. So whenever I work with someone, I always try to get them to let go of that eight hour thing that people have been told 
to do for years. Some many people are eight hours, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the first thing we always want to work on our treatment is quality over quantity. I'd much rather someone get six hours of better quality sleep than eight hours of broken sleep throughout the night. So once we work on improving the quality, then we can work on trying to get more sleep if possible. But it's hard to do that unless you have better quality first. And consecutive throughout the night, remember, it's normal to wake up. Yeah. So if you have one or two awakenings, you're up for five, 10 minutes, you go to the bathroom or you go back to sleep, that still is within normal limits. So. That's why I wanted to ask it is because you were saying the sleep cycles and it's so normal to wake up that, I yeah. thought, okay, it, I'm happy it's normal to wake up. and Yeah. And if you had that kind of relationship with thinking, oh, let me just see what this, what's happening with this awakening. If I don't freak out about it, maybe you'll fall back asleep, which often happens. But if you have multiple wakings where you feel like you're not restorative from your sleep or you wake up and you have one awakening, but you're up for an hour or two hours in the middle, that's all problematic. Mm -hmm. So that's when we start to think about it. But one or two a night and you go back to sleep is not a problem. This has been the most fantastic, fascinating conversation. That so many people, this is going to be the best episode because I, I, like I said, I, I know maybe one in 20 people, women that have amazing sleep. So yeah. we all need this. I get I get cornered at cocktail parties. Not that they have to <laughs> I bet very easily at things. Yeah. I would be yeah. cornering you for sure if you were at my party. <laughs> oh, I, I know it's funny, right? When you have whatever line of work you're in, I always get the people thinking that I'm judging them for what they're eating. I'm like, I oh. don't, nobody cares. <laughs> Eat whatever you want. No, no one one's cares. judging you. Nope, I don't care. <laughs> oh boy. Well, Dr. Shelby, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Uh, do you, in closing, do you take, I guess you answered this at the first. So yeah. you see patients in person, but you also do like telehealth appointments for anyone in the United States? Well, that's that's the issue. So right now, because I'm a clinical psychologist, I'm limited to the New York area. So even if it's okay. telehealth, you have to be, but that's changing soon, hopefully. So okay. um, reach out to me. If I can't see you, I'll give you referrals of other places, but still, you know, I, who knows if someone's listening to this podcast in six months, I might actually still be able to help people from other parts of the country. So yes, but they can find you on Instagram at sleep, Dr. Shelby. Sleep, Doc Shelby. Yep. Sleep, Doc Shelby. And they can, since a lot of us aren't going to be able to work with you in person right now or, or via telehealth. Mm-hmm. Your book is the next, be- next best option of yeah. a good place okay. to start. Yep. You can get that anywhere that you can get a book online pretty easily. So the women's guide to overcoming insomnia. And um, yeah, and I do a Q&A every Wednesday pretty much on Instagram. So I can't give like personalized advice, but uh, mm-hmm. people love to ask me questions there. And I'll, I'll give you my take on a lot of stuff there too. That's well. fantastic. I will make sure that we link all of that information below. And thank you so much for joining us. We will have to have you back on because I feel like there's a whole other conversation we could have. <laughs> yes. And one other thing to add, I have a podcast that I've been starting up over the past few months. It's Sleep Talking with Dr. Shelby. So I'll dive even deeper. I have some people who are in the sleep field, but I would talk to patients, people all different. Um, and then I also talk about like, what's the, uh, how to like find a mattress, how to get the right kind of pillow, all that sort of stuff, sheets. So you can find that sleep talking with Dr. Shelby anywhere that you find podcasts. That's another option. Perfect. Yes. I love it. Thank you so much. We will 
catch up with you on Instagram and on your podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and sharing the body pod with your friends. Until next time. Oh,